Thank you for joining me. This is I Can Complain About That. Today, I'm complaining about political strategy. It is the height of American exceptionalism to look at the crisis unfolding in Ukraine and say, let's look at how this affects America. Yet GOP politicians have been tripping over themselves to make this about the Biden administration. Calls of weakness are echoed from the troublesome Afghanistan withdrawal, often coming from the same voices. Obviously, differing opinions and strategies exist, and saying that one strategy might be better than another is just about as boring as a statement that someone can make. Picking at the current administration for political points is not new. It's a time-honored and usually pretty effective strategy. While that approach has its own normative concerns, those questions are for another day. What I'm focusing on here today is bad faith politicking. At some point, the narrative coming out of the GOP turned from ideological differences to outright sabotage. I often think this was on full display by October of 2010, when Mitch McConnell declared a top priority in making Obama a one-time president. To me, this indicated a desire to work against the American public. In many ways, we've seen the GOP's unwillingness to participate in our collective political project. I want to look at a few examples where the GOP have used international situations to exploit a partisan advantage. One of the clearest examples were the Benghazi investigations. A Republican-led Congress highly politicized the tragedy, while the Democrats claimed that they were really making it about the 2016 presidential election. Hillary Clinton was the presumptive Democratic nominee since she lost to Barack Obama in 2008. During one of the nine, mostly redundant investigations, Clinton testified to the House Select Committee for 11 hours. When the final report was published, people noticed immediately that it didn't focus on Clinton and came to the same conclusions as earlier investigations. The continued public focus on Clinton, coupled with a near absence in the report, makes it seem as if the GOP used their position to needlessly and doggedly investigate Hillary Clinton, not to find truth, but to slander her name in the court of the public opinion, which is what the Democrats argued at the time. The Crimean invasion was used by Republicans to describe Democrats' international strategies as weak. Under the auspices of supporting Russian-backed separatists in Crimea, Putin seized the peninsula on March 18, 2014. I don't agree with the invasion, but there was organic, localized support for an annexation dating back as far as 2010, even further if you include those harboring Russian sympathies left over from the Soviet Union. Somehow, though, this invasion was a reflection on Barack Obama. For the GOP, sanctions placed on Russia and Putin were ineffective, and they favored a more confrontational solution. Advocating for direct conflict between nuclear powers is dangerous and reckless. Even so, the GOP was willing to exploit Americans' unfamiliarity and ignorance of international law, international relations, and the cold realities of war. Now, for a multitude of reasons, a delicate hand was required or else we risked a hot war with Russia. The Afghanistan withdrawal was a decades-long failure in the making, with multiple administrations' fingerprints all over it. In early 2020, a ceasefire signed with the Taliban ensured American troop safety, but also required a hard timeline for a U.S. exit out of the country. This ceasefire allowed the Taliban time to position themselves strategically before our troop withdrawal. 
In August, the Taliban began sweeping the country as American troops were preparing for our exit. Republicans, politicians, and pundits alike began actively sympathizing with the Taliban, blaming things from American culture war talking points to Biden's weakness and senility. Warning allies like Taiwan that America clearly couldn't protect them, the GOP all but asked for hostile nations to make a move. There are a lot of valid criticisms about the withdrawal. The Biden administration did overestimate the time the Afghanistan government could fend off the Taliban. A chaotic withdrawal led to the tragedy of American citizens and allies trapped by a hostile regime. Scads of high-grade military equipment were left behind and seized by Taliban forces. But when these concerns are mixed in with, or alleged to be the effects of, domestic culture issues, some of which aren't even championed by Biden, the critiques are clearly meant to do something else. Biden was left holding the bag for a messy exit. I'm skeptical a clean exit could have been done, and I'm personally glad we've left that war. The cost to American lives and economy cannot be overstated, and leaving that theater has freed up resources, allowing us to focus and respond to other crises. Crises like an invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine has lived under the shadow of a full-scale Russian invasion since 2014. The questions of why now may never be fully answered. Perhaps Putin is exploiting the tender world economy, which hasn't yet been able to reestablish the reserves necessary to weather new Russian sanctions. Whatever reason it is, international responses are limited by a desire to engage Russia in a war. But the GOP is again calling for more aggressive responses when they aren't outright praising Putin. And what's more is that American law also limits how and when the president may act in times of conflict. But this doesn't seem to matter much as partisan attacks are exploiting our citizens' general unfamiliarity with these procedural matters in order to weaken the president and, by extension, American interests on the world stage. I feel at this point I need to pause and defend two assumptions I've made. The first is about the role of government oversight, and the other is about my view of nation-states. There is a value and purpose to legitimate government oversight. I do not want to insinuate that there is a problem with investigations. It's a cornerstone in the functionality of our government. But there is a great responsibility attached, and like so many other parts of our government, it requires good faith to function. And there's just a history of the GOP not honoring that, including the sham investigation into Justice Brett Kavanaugh, the hypocrisy of appointing replacements for Scalia and Ginsburg, blocking judicial appointments just in general, objection and obfuscation into the investigation of the Russia election interference and also the withholding of military aid to Ukraine, and lastly, the reaction to GOP members who voted with the Democrats in the impeachment trials. I could be here all day listing times in recent memory the GOP governed in bad faith, like that time McConnell filibustered his own bill, but I think that we get the picture about good faith governing. Now, I've accused the GOP of bad faith governing, and I want to take a moment to describe its dangerous societal impacts. It injects a deep cynicism into our political system and makes it harder to actually govern. When they do have legislative control, the GOP works to grant themselves disproportional access to levers of power, and in states where they have had long-standing legislative control, the GOP has advanced policy positions recently that have been at best described as anti-democratic, theocratic, 
and authoritarian. While trying to sidestep a slippery slope, we should still be concerned about the trajectory of their policies, even if the ones passing today are already horrific enough. I place a high value on states and state interests here. Certain resources are geographically scarce, and for now, nation-states are the best bargaining unit we have for collective management. This extends beyond natural resources, encompassing diplomatic relations, economic connections, manufacturing, and so much more. A state that chooses or is prohibited from engaging in the global marketplace will cause measurable harm to their economies and people. We're watching this in real time as sanctions against Russia are cratering their economy. Nations are just a practical reality and they can't be unilaterally dissolved. We can dance around the maypole looking for better solutions, but until one is found, states and their interests will remain important conversations. I want to dissect this political strategy in two ways, with an ethical discussion and another rooted around self-interest. I think that there are many interesting ethical dilemmas in here, and while a more thorough investigation could be done, I'll focus more specifically on key places where many of these ethical questions overlap. Consider the following examples. Organized crime running a protection racket. Befriending someone so you can use their connections. Someone taking all the credit in a group project. At the center of each of these is using someone else for your own gain. This means that we failed to treat someone with the respect and dignity that we associate with being human. Usually, we think about this in relation to actions that we choose to do, but we can also do this in experiences that we come across. For example, if I want to back out of plans, and I use a loved one's unexpected illness to do it, even if I do tend to them, I still done something that most of us would feel weird about. I think it's fairly clear that I'm accusing the GOP in acting in this second way. I think that they demonstrate it in the way that they criticize and utilize power. Because I ask you, what is their plan for Ukraine? They've offered up that it wouldn't have happened if their guy was in charge, and they've offered violent military solutions against a historic enemy of the United States that also happens to be a nuclear power, and they've also offered complete complicity to the Russian invasion. Any one of these plans would largely weaken an American position internationally, or involve the deaths of thousands. America was not a party to this invasion, and can stay out of it entirely. But instead, America has acted as part of an international coalition, levying devastating sanctions against Russia broadly, and her oligarchs more narrowly, in an attempt to cripple their ability to further wage war, and to encourage internal political change. These tools are exactly the ones the GOP has advocated ditching in the past, like floating the possibility of leading NATO or the UN, or ignoring the power of broad-scale diplomatic relations in an ever-globalizing world. I'm left looking at the kinds of criticisms from major GOP voices, like Carlson, O'Reilly, Shapiro, and even Trump himself, and they feel disingenuous, hollow. These major talking heads know what is at stake should a hot war erupt between America and Russia. And even so, they choose rhetoric meant to inflame and agitate people over actions that we simply can't take. They offer instead a world where we do take those actions, knowing full well that we won't, that we can't. 
When they do this, they silently offer the prospect of nuclear war so they can control domestic policy and use it to ban trans kids, abortion care, privatize education, and other public services. I hope I'm not alone in saying this, but anyone who's going to make an international tragedy worse to grab power at home is a bad person. This approach also does real harm to American positions internationally. In an increasingly globalizing world, we cannot choose to remove ourselves from the global marketplace, ideas, or otherwise. Doing so prevents us from addressing issues like climate change, global poverty, and more. America has historically enjoyed a privileged position when it comes to policy setting. As our diplomatic relations weaken, and an increasing tendency to be an unreliable international actor, that international prestige has diminished. We cannot continue down a path of self-isolation, because ultimately it removes our agency instead of supporting and expanding it. When internal divisions are used to block America off, I think we as Americans need to be concerned about that. I think it's more concerning when those divisions are being made to benefit a small part of our population at the expense of the rest. Just to recap everything we've done so far, the Republican Party uses state powers irresponsibly, if not maliciously, and this is done in order to maintain or create partisan advantage, and often at the expense of the United States. I find that approach to be cynical, immoral, and inherently destabilizing. The longer this practice continues, the more likely it will have long-lasting effects on American standing on the international stage, moving us from a position of leadership to membership. Selfishly, as an American, I'd rather America lead discussions than have them be led. This is a complex problem to solve, but not impossible. Much of it is rooted in education, so it will be difficult and slow, but I'm confident that this strategy can be overcome. In order to help, familiarize yourself with the powers and roles of different branches. Be prepared to talk to family and friends about why certain political offices can and can't do something. Remember that over two centuries have changed how the powers are practiced, but not the powers themselves. We should always remember that war needs to be an option of last resort, and military actions shouldn't be threatened lightly. The implications of some actions can't be undone, and some things once sense in motion cannot be stopped. Well, I think that's enough for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please like and subscribe. Follow me on Twitter at Jerumblatt, J-E-R-U-M-B-L-A-T-T, as I continue complaining about politics and society.